Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Way with Jamila Jamil. I hope you're all right. I know that things are particularly fraught this week, especially online and in world news, and there is so much happening, and there is a lot of division online and a lot of screaming at one another, and that's because terrible, terrible things are happening to human beings all around the world, and there's only so much that we can take before we just start to snap at each other online. And so I just want to reassure you that it's okay if you don't have all of the answers. It's okay if you don't know exactly what to say. It's okay if you're not an expert on the things that you are reading about online. There's always time to educate yourself. It's never too late to start learning. It's okay if you find it stressful. It's okay if you find it overwhelming. It's okay if it makes you feel sad and anxious. It's okay to step away for a minute just to breathe because you're no good to anyone if you're completely burnt out. And basically it's just okay to be completely fucking overwhelmed because it's totally, totally overwhelming. And it's hard to not be able to fix every single person's pain in the world. And we all wish we could, but we can't. So we just have to do our best to support as many people as we possibly can in the best way we know how, whilst also looking after ourselves so that we will be around long enough and sustained enough to be able to continue to care for others for a long period of time. Now, speaking of not having all the answers, I certainly don't. And that's why I'm bringing you today's episode. We are going to do one of the Ask Jamila Anything episodes. Now, this is a side series I have where basically you send me in your questions, things that you're thinking about, things that you're struggling with, things that you care about, and you ask for my advice. Now, because I dare not be so arrogant as to presume that I have all of the answers, as I've kind of just explained in a long rambling, not rant, but plea for understanding, um, and plea for you to give yourself some understanding, uh, I get people who are smarter and better and funnier and stronger than me to come on and help me answer some of those questions to the best of both of our capabilities. And some of it's tongue in cheek, some of it's incredibly sincere. And today's guest is in particular someone who I just think is the coolest. I think she's so wise. I think she's so funny and cool. I love the fact that we met because we actually didn't like each other on the internet and she was slagging me off in a video. And I saw that video either because she sent it to me or someone else did. And uh, we ended up in a big old altercation publicly and that we've somehow transitioned from that into being quite good online friends and having each other's backs and being there for each other and having fun, personal conversations. And she's even now on my podcast, helping me give people advice. This person who I look up to so much now, who things started off in such an angry way. It really, 
it's a really lovely side of the internet where you can start by fighting with someone and end up finding that you've actually got more in common than you thought. And you actually, you know, the internet can be so bad at showing someone for who they really are. And we completely misunderstood each other, misunderstood one another's intentions and in getting to know each other now quite like each other. If I dare dare say so myself, I fucking adore her. And she's an incredible activist for fat liberation. And she talks about racism so eloquently. She talks about injustice so eloquently. She talks about homophobia and transphobia so wonderfully. She's a thoughtful person. She is so much better at giving advice than I am. She's just generally better at the internet, better maybe at everything than I am. And I think you should all follow her online. Her name is Megan Tondras. And in this episode, we discuss listener questions around anxiety being weighed, uh, body image and sex and intimacy together, uh, deconstructing sex from patriarchy, as well as other amazing questions from all of you guys. And also in this series, this mini series of Ask Jamila Anything, we have a bunch of other amazing episodes on Stitcher Premium. I have my friends Leah and Chris, who are, a, who are a new couple who came on my podcast together. That could have been dangerous, but it went fine. They came on to answer your brilliant questions. I have my friend Poppy Jamie on regarding mental health, who talks to me so much about mental health and neuroscience, and she's so fucking fascinating. My own boyfriend, James Blake, is on this episode. That was a bit awkward. It was a bit awkward because we'd never done anything like this before, but we had a really nice time chatting. Um, my friend David Finn, there are so many. And the great Scarlett Curtis, whose episode you enjoyed so much when she came onto this podcast last year. She was so fucking fantastic. She's so wise and clever. Anyway, this series has been really wonderful to make. And so if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet, you can try it out with a free month of Stitcher Premium by signing up and using our promo code IWAY. Just go to stitcher.com forward slash premium and use the promo code IWAY when signing up for a monthly plan. I hope you like it. If not, I'm sure you will tell me in my DMs. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. And uh, sorry, I've been talking for like 49 minutes. Lots of love. Here's the excellent Megan Tondras. And welcome to another episode of Ask Jamila Anything. I hope that you are well. Uh, As you may know by now, this is a show in which you send in questions about issues that you are having or or things that you are wondering about. And I bring on someone smarter, cleverer, funnier and better than me to to come along and help me and make sure that I don't fuck up the advice that I give you. So this week I have brought on someone that I really adore, who I've been following online for years now. Uh, We met in a in a moment of disagreement we did not get along we did not understand each other and and things were tense but over the years we have both kind of come to more of a similar way of seeing the world, come to understand and know each other a little bit better. We've never met in person, only ever virtually, uh, either over text or DM or sometimes on a, a very, very random IG live. But Megan is a singer, first and foremost. I also consider you a comedian. I don't know if you consider yourself that, but she's incredibly funny. She's incredibly smart, a wonderful online advocate for many, many issues and a voice of sense, someone that I really look up to online as, as a person who gives responsible and, and reasonable and logical 
solution-based advice and and input to online discourse. So I couldn't think of anyone better to come on this show than Megan. Uh, Megan Tonjes, welcome, Megan, to Ask Me Anything. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for I'm- having me. I'm great. I'm so excited that you're here because I feel much safer giving out any advice uh, with you here, because, especially because you're also so blunt. So she will tell me when I'm wrong. Straight up, <laughs> straight up. She'll be straight on it. And I really admire and respect you for that. And I'm really grateful for for our odd virtual relationship that we have. <laughs> Thank you. If it makes you feel any better, I'm also very blunt with myself when I'm in the middle of my own bullshit. And uh <laughs> You know, it's, I can't help it. It's a, I don't know if it's, I'm, I'm a Scorpio. I don't know if it's, from, I'm from the Midwest. Uh, just, I'm sweet, but I'm right to the point. Uh, why are you so wise, Megan? What's going on? A lot of what's, trauma. What's your fucking problem? Uh, <laughs> a lot of trauma. Um, I think that for my entire life, I've sort of looked at the world and seen the humor in it. Um, but also, uh, I I have a desire to cut through, again, a lot of the bullshit in myself and in other people and just get to the heart of the matter. So I think that comes across as wisdom. um, And I'm glad for it to be uh, experienced that way. Have you always been this way or has it been a growing experience? I mean, it's something something I'm still growing into. Uh, I think for a long time, it's just been, uh, there's something in me that, feels like you need to speak up, you need to say something. And my childhood, it wasn't the time for me to do that. Um, and now as an adult, I'm starting to grow into that and step into that and the good and the bad of that. You know, I, I'm i constantly learning. Even from our, our interaction, when we first started talking, I was defensive and I was upset and frustrated by things that, I don't even remember what it specifically it was about, but it was uh, at the height of me being defensive about things that I just kept seeing and experiencing and wanting to, wanting to hit back at it. I think I remember it was just around the time where like I'd, I'd suddenly been, you know, cast on this hit show. So I had this huge platform and I'd been talking about these issues that I've been talking about for like eight years at least. Mm -hmm. Um, But suddenly people like the media were acting like I'd never said it before, even though there's documented like videos of me saying it for years and years and years. Uh, And, uh, and they had centered me entirely in the conversation of body positivity, no matter how many times I kept saying, I was like, no, I'm a advocate, like around the eating disorder discussion. I'm not like, I I believe in body neutrality. Like I'm not trying to take over space. I'm not trying to take up space in the body positivity movement, but the media would not stop centering me. They were acting like not only had I never said these things, but no one had ever said these things before. And so I imagine as an advocate for, would you say fat liberation or body positivity, yeah. like as fat someone who is so firmly in that space, uh, it must've been so fucking frustrating to watch this like slim actress be consistently centered. And there was nothing I could, I was trying so hard to get away from that label, but they just kept on thrusting it up my ass. <laughs> and, and I would have interviews with journalists and be, and, and say explicitly to them, please do not center me as, as, and please do not even refer to body positivity around me. That's not my movement. That's a social political movement for people who are bigger than I am, who are constantly concerned, trolled at the doctor, at the, um, at job interviews, in life, in love, on the street, everywhere they go. And they would still write it in the headline. And so I, mean, I yeah. because I understood that that's what was happening. I think that's why you and I were able to move through that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I, I can appreciate that, right. Where it's you, 
I think the more that you start to see the world for what it is and you want to you want to give voice to it, you want to speak up for it and to it, uh, it it gets very muddled with who kind of gets that light and who kind of has the opportunity to be on a certain platform. And so. It, it, yeah, it gets a little messy, but um, we came to an understanding and, and 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 learned, I think, through our conversation a little bit more about what each other was feeling and and dealing with. And and ultimately, you know, that conversation and, and our experience with each other was one of many where I've started to really uh, ground myself in the reality that what I'm fighting for is much bigger than any person. It's bigger than anyone else. It's it's a system that. uh it's not about individual people and what they do or don't do. There's something else that is happening that's circling us all about and making us fight each other. Yeah. And it's what the opposite wants. They want us to be distracted fighting each other so that we never fight them, the ones who are actually profiting yeah. off of this oppression and this system. It's and so I got a lot of fights, so I'm ready to fight everybody. So. No, I know. <laughs> I fucking literally know you are. Uh <laughs> And I um, am both afraid of you and I respect you and I adore you, which I think is a good combo of feelings from a relative stranger. Um, Listen, that's all I that's all I can ask for. (laughs) Having followed you online for so long, uh, I'm excited to ask for your advice on this next question. Okay, so they say, hi, Jamila, I consume your content to rewire my brain with helpful and loving messages about women and our bodies. My question for you is this. After recovering from an eating disorder, mostly orthorexia, I've developed a fear of getting weighed, which only happens at the doctor now. I've developed a lot of anxiety around this event and it's developed into a big thing due to a shame spiral and strict ways of incorrect thinking about how my body should be and what I need to weigh in order to fit the harmful label of hot girl, quote unquote. I'm in therapy and a lot of the shame has subsided, but the anxiety around going to the doctor is still present. What would you say to someone who is struggling with the fear of getting weighed? It's largely to do with self-worth being tied up in weight. And I want to have your voice in my head while I'm sitting in the waiting room. Thank you for everything you do. Instead of having my voice, first, let's have Megan's. Uh, (laughs) Megan, uh, I don't understand why she would feel uncomfortable at the doctor. Doctors don't really have a long, uh, well-documented history of making people feel bad about their weight and being incredibly fat phobic and ignorant do they no no not at all no, no i've i've never been getting weighed at the doctor and a nurse has used that time to go into her story about how her son is also struggling with his weight um oh my God. never never experienced it never gone into a, a doctor's office all my tests and everything were good but they still wrote down the, the major issue was obesity and told me to lose weight never happened yeah uh, yeah it's you know it's interesting the experience that, you know, this person is having is one that I also experience. Um, going into a doctor is not just going into a doctor. It is weighted with um, all kinds of, uh, in some cases, violence. And uh, it's something that I have to walk into with a shield on a lot of the time. And so mm-hmm. that's probably why I don't go very often because it is a lot of emotional labor to not only go in and be in pain or be uh, suffering with with anything that you need help with, but also having to advocate for yourself above and beyond just, you know, what everyone else might be dealing with. And I also think, uh, just just to clarify for um, anyone who's listening to this, uh, I think the term violence has been used more recently in the last couple of years online Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't just mean physical violence. So for anyone who hasn't heard that before, who's listening to this, we're talking about emotional and psychological violence where you can still harm someone without touching uh, Mm. even a hair on their body. Um, Yeah, it's it's it, it. 
you know, I've had the experience of going into a doctor and instead of them wanting to get a bigger cuff for a blood pressure cuff, having me hold close a blood pressure cuff with my hand, which by the way, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, that that's work. not science. No, that's not how that works. Um, and so what happens, the repercussion of that is even in situations where you're hoping someone can help you or that you are safe with, um, you are safe in that space enough to understand what's going on with you, you lose absolute trust in it. And it becomes, uh, it can put you in a situation where you're not even going to the hospital or the doctor when you really need to be because you just don't feel safe there. And I'm not, I'm definitely not the only person that deals with that. And uh, it's not just fat people that deal with it either. No, absolutely. Um, But what advice would you have for our listener who's dealing Mm. with this anxiety? Well, the first thing is I would suggest maybe bringing a friend um, when you Mm. go to the doctor's office, just having someone there that already knows what you're dealing with, that may be in a situation where you feel like you can't speak up or you can't say, hey, uh, you know, I I don't actually don't want to be weighed. I think I've heard that you can request not to be weighed during a doctor's appointment, though I've never done it. Um, having someone there that can advocate for you in a time where you feel really vulnerable, um, might make that experience a little bit more, of okay for you. Um, I would also say that going in expecting, yeah, it's hard because you can only prepare so much for what the fallout of, of that experience is going to be. But I would maybe talk to the nurse beforehand and say, you know, I actually deal with orthorexia or I deal with an eating disorder. This really is triggering to me. It's really upsetting to me. And so Mm -hmm. I'd actually request that unless I need to be weighed for something, which you really don't. Yeah, it sounds like it's happening Um, fucking regularly, which is really odd every single time. Yeah, I I just, it's, I don't, mm, yeah, I don't quite understand the correlation though I'm not a doctor. I, I, I do a little bit which I will I will no, yeah. no pun intended but weigh in on which is you know an example of this is um, I'd have a, an abortion when I was 26 because I took the morning after pill and I didn't know that it isn't as effective once you are over a certain weight which I was far over I think mm. I was maybe like 210 pounds and I think the uh the weight that it's primarily effective for is if you're under 175. And so no one had ever told me that. The pharmacist didn't tell me that. The pharmacist could clearly see I was over that weight and and was too awkward to mention it to me. So I do think sometimes when it comes to medication, perhaps if if they're going to prescribe you medication, I do understand the need to know physically what you weigh. But something mm-hmm. you can do, which I do, uh, because I had an eating disorder for 20 years, I'm just like, weigh me, do not tell me the number. Do not talk to me, but it is dangerous for me to learn that number. And go. it would be better for you to not even reference it to me or talk to me about that number. Like, I'm just going to shut my eyes, stand on the scale, and then I don't want to hear about it. Yeah, uh, sort of creating the conditions me. that take some of the power yeah. out of it. Yeah, so that it doesn't have to be, because like the way that I've decided to kind of, you know, my journey with body neutrality is to try to, is to try to push myself towards... What am I trying to say? My journey with body neutrality means that I've decided that my body weight is none of my business. Not only none of anyone else's business, it's none of my business. It's not for me to worry about. I've decided to try and treat my body like it's a car, uh, which means similarly to what my real car would look like, it's covered in food. uh, And I try to put 
good enough fuel in the engine, uh, fuel that makes me happy. But um, that is something that I would genuinely recommend and and then work on, if you're struggling with not knowing that number, work on what that curiosity is with this therapist that it sounds like you're doing really great work with. But um, yeah, that I is think that's, one of- I think that's great advice. I also think that, you know, if you're, if you find a lot of pushback from your doctor about having it set up that way, I would look at um, some health at every size physicians that might be a little bit more open to creating those same conditions that make you feel safe and comfortable. How do you find a health at every size doctor? Maybe I'm speaking something into existence that I wish for, but I do oh, I think feel like that, we should work towards that if that doesn't already exist. You know, I, I, if it doesn't exist, um, like on a website, I would say that there are a lot of, um, fat activists that Mm -hmm. compile that information. I, you know, I don't know if Militant Baker, Jess Baker has that information on, on their site, but I do remember there being a directory of, of something. So I I do, I do think that people in this community probably have more information about how to get that. Yeah. But I do think, I do believe there is a, there is a directory, whether that's on a website or it's just amongst the fat community. Um, People are willing, people are willing to share that information. So you know, maybe that's a community to kind of dive into just health at every size and start asking questions on some of those message boards and see who in your city uh, is a provider. And and even those physicians might step up and say, hey, I have a practice um, where we can, you know, make it a little bit more comfortable for you. Yeah, this is definitely something we need to work more towards. I also just want to state, and look, this isn't fucking important, but maybe this might challenge your views on a weighing scale which definitely changed my mind is that your your body size cannot be dictated on a weighing scale i just want to say that as a fact on top of everything else and this isn't necessarily relevant but it helped me realize i couldn't trust my weighing scale because you know your muscle weighs three times more than fat or water fluctuates and like you don't know if your bone density is maybe heavier than someone else's the idea of this arbitrary number dictating what what quote unquote size we are or how healthy we are or what we look like or how attractive we are, whether or not we're allowed to have a good fucking day, because that's what weighing scales are for people, a daily a daily kind of decider who gets to let you know, are you allowed to feel confident today? No, fuck off, get out, get on a diet. And so um, just remembering that that they're, they're not very complex weighing scales. They're incredibly simplistic and uh, and a really, really, really uh, pathetic judge of, of of size, health or or anything, really, even just what your true weight is. So also start to just really discredit the weighing scale. That really helped me. I've just discredited yeah. the shit out of it. Make it make it less scary. And it, and it sounds like this person's on that path, you know, of really breaking that down and, and even having what Jamila just said in your head as you get on this scale. Um, it might take a little bit of the power out of it, mm-hmm. enough for you to get through that visit. 100%. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week, you know, as you're bottling things up, because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel, you know you're going to get that hour. 
where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Okay, so next up, how do you deal with body image issues when it comes to sex and intimacy? I feel fine until I have to have my leg over my head. Well, well done for being able to do that. And my stomach is all squished together. I mean, that was a humble brag if ever I heard one. <laughs> Flexible. She's like, yeah, when I'm up on the ceiling. <laughs> Um, so, uh, what do you think? Do you have okay. any experience with, I mean, it's a super personal question. I'm happy to yes. jump in and well, just I've be ha- like. I've had sex as a fat person. Okay. Uh, it's the only kind of sex that I've had. Okay. And what I would say is, uh, you know, the first thing is to understand that the person that you're sleeping with, the person that you're being intimate knows that you're fat. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not a secret. It's not something that dissuaded them from wanting to be intimate with you. And I think that's a little bit of, um, that's something that you really have to start thinking about. You're so, we have all these fears of what people are thinking and what they're feeling, but the actions that are happening, the reality of the situation is that they're there with you and they want to be there with you. Um, you know, I know that there are people who will like turn off the lights and maybe that's a way that you can kind of make yourself feel more comfortable in the beginning, just not feeling like you're under a spotlight and someone's seeing every little you know, dimple and stretch mark. Um, but I'm a big believer in doing the things that scare you. So mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, in situations where I felt um, insecure, I'm the kind of person that's going to turn the lights on. Just, <laughs> I don't know if that's great advice, <laughs> but I think that sometimes by doing the thing that scares you, something that you don't think that you can do um, and just being present in that and trusting the partner that you have, um, it it's like a muscle memory. Uh, self-love. It's it's something that you have to practice. It's something that you have to do in little bits. And maybe that's keeping the lights on. Maybe that's trying a different position that you feel comfortable in. And then in the heat of the moment, turning over it and letting them see you. Maybe it's doing something that's not sex first. Maybe it's having them put lotion and oil on your body and, and feeling that sort of intimacy between you and your partner where your body is the focus um, and having them 
asking them to sort of tell you how your body feels, um, why, why it feels so good, what, what they like about it, um, to just sort of make you feel a little bit more confident and, and to snap you back into the reality that you're there with someone that wants to be with you. That was really hot advice. I mean, really Thank good you. advice. But it was also hot. Listen, was pizza, hot. pizza, cake, and rubbing oil on each other's body, Jamila. <laughs> whatever, whatever happens, happens. I'll be around babe. in five minutes. Uh, mask on, though. Bikini on, but mask on. Um, that's fine. No, I, I a hundred percent hear you on that. I think that's really, really good advice. I'm definitely someone who struggled because I had body image issues, and then also my weight would fluctuate on medication so much. So it kind of I'd go up eighty pounds, go down eighty pounds, and so I, you know, I definitely at first felt self conscious, but two things I realized. One, Megan is absolutely right that people can see what size you are when you have clothes on. And so if they want to take those clothes off, they know what is coming and and they're down and very excited and hopefully quite grateful. Um, but also uh, something I realized is that the other lover is often, and this isn't healthy or great either, but they're often wondering about what you think about their body. And that was a hilarious revelation to me. Uh, later on in life is realizing, you know, talking finally to lovers about, you know, why I wasn't wanting to ever put the lights on. They were like, you know, I'm fucking worried as well. Like, I don't know if you're liking my body. It's similar to social anxiety. We go out thinking, oh God, everyone's judging me. People are going to think I'm not funny enough. They're going to think I'm not interesting. I'm not smart enough. And actually everyone in that room is probably wondering what everyone else is thinking of them. Everyone is thinking we're all narcissists, really. We're all just self-involved and and terrified or insecure or all these different things. And so, you know, everyone is feeling a little bit shy, maybe when they're naked and vulnerable. And, and, and truly just working towards confidence is, is what makes sense so sexy and so keep throwing that leg back as long as you feel ready and <laughs> and you know start with a dim light and slowly work your way into daylight but it is um it is so frustrating to me how much we have been programmed to think that people don't find anybody that isn't like emrata's body type attractive if you look at any porn website you will see that one of the highest categories is BBW, which is big, beautiful women. So, you know, both, so all genders have been told to think that the only thing that is allowed to be considered attractive is a very specific kind of skinny body with tiny waist, big boobs, big bum, but very, very skinny thighs, everything toned, nothing moving, everything looking like a 15 year old's body, nothing older than that. Um, but actually, when people are, you know, alone and and really in their truth, they're looking at all kinds of different body sizes and people of different colours and backgrounds and and looks. And so it's just capitalism. It's capitalism and gross media and gross marketing and the fucking industry that I'm in, which is why I'm always trying to expose everyone in it, uh, that have convinced us otherwise. That person's yeah. taking off your clothes because they want to see what's underneath. And so I hope that you can um, work towards that. Also, if you can access any kind of therapy, that would be a great thing to start working on because you don't need yeah. that bully inside your own head. You deserve your pleasure, you mm-hmm. know? And and I think that um, in general, pleasure is sort of taken from us. But also when you, when you exist in a body that um, is told consistently, you don't deserve pleasure. You don't get pleasure until you reach a certain weight or until we decide that you can have it. Yeah. Um, to to have to to be intimate with other people in the body that you're in is really revolutionary and it's it's really rebellious. And so tap into that. And also what's helped me a lot in my own body journey is 
following people that had bodies that looked like mine mm-hmm. um, and maybe even going on OnlyFans or going on sites that, um, you know, you have fat creators who you can uh, who are, are sharing their bodies and who may be sort of desensitizing yourself a little bit to seeing what a body like that looks like. Um, you might start to actually find an appreciation and a love for their body in, mm-hmm. in a way first that you can then bring to your own. Such good advice. And watch okay. it with your partner. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so next up, uh, Jamila. Um, okay, one second. They always put compliments at the beginning and I'm trying to become more humble. So I'm just trying to, I'm trying to skip that part. It's a really long compliment. You can just, yeah, again. you can just read the compliments to me if you want, as if they're compliments for Tanja. Okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Megan, firstly, I want to say thank you so much for sharing your heart with the world via this podcast, which is true. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, the Iway community, which Megan is a, is a participant in somewhat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. and Megan, your work on The Good Place. Thank you for that. Uh, yes, Sincerely, thank you. Uh, your existence has been a beacon of light in a shit ass world over this past year. Okay, so Megan, she loves you. Yeah, uh, I love you sorry. too. Uh, Megan, they love you. Okay, so... <laughs> Some background. I also have EDS. That means Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, uh, Mm. which is a collagen deficiency, which I also have. uh, And it um, impacts your skin, your bones, all of your organs, uh, generally every single cell, literally every cell in your body, because collagen is something that is a, it's a binding agent um, in your cellular system. And so uh, with not much of it, you run into constant problems with dislocations or bleeding too much or having difficulty with operations or your teeth or everything. It's a fucking nightmare. So we're going to find out what's going on with it. And I'm struggling. So some background, I also have EDS and I'm struggling with the diagnosis. As a fat woman, I took about 10 years of being gaslit by half a dozen doctors, the fucking doctors, Mm -hmm. and diagnosed as quote unquote fat and told to starve myself. Literally, they say, Um, before finally meeting a kind rheumatologist, a woman of colour, I might add, and getting my diagnosis confirmed by a geneticist. At first, I was just so relieved to know that it's not all in my head, all the bizarre, inexplicable and often invisible symptoms. However, now I am struggling with the reality of the prognosis that this is genetic, progressive and incurable. My question for you is, how do you cope with this illness, specifically chronic pain and invisible disability? Lots of love. Okay, I'm going to take this one. Unless yeah, you, you, t- you take have, this. I'll, I'll, do you have I'll a little syndrome? bit of chronic pain, but you, t- you take this one. Okay, perfect. Um, first of all, I want to say I'm really sorry because it is a frustrating condition to live with. And it's also a hugely underfunded and under-researched condition. So a lot of people, including doctors, don't know a lot about it. Uh, another thing that's really frustrating about it is that it causes tremendous issues with your joints and loads of swelling. Like Just yesterday I was on set and... I had to leave set to go and lie upside down in my trailer for half an hour because my legs had swollen to twice their size. Now I am a a relatively slender person. I'm a US size six. So that's happening to me at this size. But because we associate weight with joint issues, I can 100% imagine. And in fact, I've actually experienced this before with doctors who don't know what Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is when I was bigger than I am now, then blaming all of my joint issues on my fucking size. And that's not possible because here I am as a thin person having the exact same symptoms I had before. Uh, so I'm sorry that you went through a decade of being gaslit. I'm very lucky to have been diagnosed at nine years old. And so I've had a lot longer than most people to come to terms with this. Uh, things I would say are... First things first, 
you just have to accept it. And you have to just try to find a way to look at your body with gratitude for the things that it does do that aren't uncomfortable. I have chosen to look at my body with love and like, oh, this is really fucking challenging. Well done for getting up today. Oh, wow. My hands are working today. I was able to give a hand job. Excellent work, hands. Uh, oh, great. I was, uh, you know, my, um, like my, my teeth are bad, but some of them are still in there and they're my full teeth. <laughs> I, you know, like I, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm covered in scar. I'm literally covered. I'm covered in scars. I have several hundred scars across my body. Uh, every time I get eczema and I scratch myself, that's another scar. That's like a big keloid scar because that's big with EDS. So I've chosen to look at that as like, oh, well done, skin. You managed to finally heal over even though you are uh, underprivileged in the collagen department. So gratitude for what your body can do is a great way of kind of glass half full-ing the situation. I know that that is hard, a hard thing to ask for, but with incremental practice, you really do start to build an, uh, like an appreciation and deep respect for your body. Like, you know, our bodies are going through more than other people's bodies and we're here. We're still here. We're still waking up. We're still trying to get through the day. Like we are, we are legends. We're warriors. It's fucking harder than it is for completely non-disabled people. Um, I would also like to express uh, any sorrow if you are someone who, similarly to me, on a worldwide level, gets gaslit about your health because uh, EDS does not present visibly as as they referenced earlier. It is an invisible illness. So therefore, you are more likely to not only be doubted by doctors, but also by everyone around you, sometimes even and often friends and family and colleagues, people who can't see it on you. It's like if you're not in a wheelchair or you uh, don't look physically ill, they presume there can't be anything wrong with you. And chronic pain is something that's really hard to live with. So just a big fuck off well done for still being here, still getting through the day and still looking for solutions. Thank you for writing in looking for solutions. Um, I would also try to find as many other people with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome as you can. There is a big EDS community growing online and it's incredibly comforting. I've learned so much about my own condition from this community because sometimes doctors don't have the information. There are all these new symptoms we're learning about all the time and having to tell each other about them so we can finally understand what's happening to us. You know, uh, some Something I learned about from the internet is mast cell, uh, which is something that comes alongside Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, where you develop these random allergies for no reason all the time. And they come and they go, sometimes after six months, sometimes after three years, uh, but they just pop up out of nowhere. And they can be an allergy to food, an allergy to candles, an allergy to uh, a skin product, uh, sometimes an allergy to your own fucking tears. <laughs> my skin briefly became allergic to my own fucking tears. I would, uh, I would die. I cry too often. It was really frustrating. Um, and so, you know, I learned about that uh, years and years ago from the Twitter community and was able to take that to my doctor and be tested. And then the doctors were like, oh, yeah, you do have mast cell. So find your online community. It is rough to know that it is degenerative. It is rough to know that it's going to last forever, but it is therefore also amazing to know that now you have confirmation that you have to treat your body like it is made of glass. And that's not to say that you are weak. It is to say that you deserve to be protected and preserved at all costs. I am so fucking intense about what I will or will not do with my body. I don't go out all night. 
I uh, treat my body with so much care. I refuse to do anything uh, impact sport wise. I refuse to do anything that's going to test my boundaries. I treat myself with the utmost care. I treat myself as though my body is my most prized possession because it fucking is. And so take that knowledge to know that you deserve the right. If you want to stay in bed for a week, stay in bed for a week. But you just do whatever you need to do to get you through the day because you're a legend and you need to be protected. Sorry, that was a big rant. Go on. I mean, I I loved all of it. Um, <laughs> I deal with chronic uh, back pain and degener- degenerative disc. Um, and so I have that experience of like, sometimes I'm okay. And then sometimes I'm really, really not okay. Mm. And it's definitely something that in the moments where I am not as in much pain, I can um, I feel like I, I sink into joy a little bit deeper than I did before. I have such an appreciation mm-hmm. for the friends and the people around me that hold space for me to be in pain and to not um, have a, a, a forward path, but just stay with me. Uh, know that if I'm if I'm in bed for two weeks and I can't move, um, will rally around me to see what I need to to send me food if I need it to to check in. And I think that. Online communities have been a big thing too for me in the sense of finding out what's going on, you know, because I've had doctors that basically have told me just to lose weight, just lose weight. And I did. I lost a ton of weight. I lost a lot of weight in very few, in just three months and my back still went out and it was still the same pain and um, finding people that can teach me and take the time with the stretches and um, just information on how to sleep and just a, a you know, a, a general care um, and other people that are going through it has been really helpful in situations where you feel like you're in and out of a doctor's office and they don't, they're not really taking the time to, to help you deal with something that you're going to be dealing with for the rest of your life. The hilarity that they treat uh, like anyone big as though they are lazy when actually yeah. the laziness is in the doctors who cannot see beyond your external size and be, be really be bothered, be asked to, 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 do the tests that are necessary to see, oh, what if there is actually something else underlying there? They can't be bothered. Just in and out. They want to collect their fucking paycheck. It's really, no. really frustrating. I had one doctor in my life uh, that I remember uh, was the best doctor that I had. And I felt like, listen to me. And and, and I when I was young, so this is another side story. When I was young, I was set to, sent to fat camp when I was 12. So I went to like a pretty infamous fat Fun. camp. I lost a lot of weight. Uh, I lost like 30 pounds in six weeks. They sent me home. I started getting sick after I would eat. That's so unhealthy. Um, For about a month, I would miss a lot of school because I would eat dinner on Sunday night. I would be so sick. Uh, I would be in so much pain. And I had a parent that thought I was faking it. I had, you know, uh, doctors that guessed every possible thing it could be that wasn't what it was. Thought maybe I had hepatitis or maybe I I actually was given like a, a giant bottle of Tums. Just take Tums. And I ate all of the Tums. Um, and then I had one doctor that was a younger guy that walked in and said, well, why don't we check this, uh, and see if her gallbladder is giving her an issue. And because I was so young, no one was looking at that. And he was the one person that figured out that not only was my gall, my gallbladder giving me an issue, I, I had a dozen gallstones and pancreatitis and I needed emergency surgery. My but God. at the same time, on the other side of that, this is also a doctor who, when I was 13 was, you know, at my parents' request was giving me diet suppressants. So, you know, it's, 
you take it's one, just an ongoing search we need to do more work to find better communities of doctors that people yes. don't go through this it's so frustrating i have so many friends who've been misdiagnosed or gone undiagnosed for such a long time mm-hmm. um but sending all of our love to you so much okay. love next up Dear Jamila Jamil and the Iway community, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for creating the Iway movement. It's genuinely changed my life. If it's okay, I have a question that I'm hoping you will take into consideration. I think I might have been struggling with this for a lot longer, but only become consciously aware of it in the last year or so. I would say I identify as a heterosexual woman, although it is a spectrum, and I have had sex in long-term relations as well as in one-night stands or more casual dating situations. Although this has been enjoyable in varying degrees and has taught me a lot about sex as well as myself, I noticed that I have started to relate and perhaps equate sex to the patriarchy. In a way, I've started to view sex as a tool of the patriarchy and as something that we are, as women, conditioned to give men, regardless if this is something she wants. There is a tendency within me to be less inclined to have sex because there is a sense of male entitlement to sex. It's fascinating. There is definitely a trust issue here from my side, the subconscious notion that guys are only with me for the sex rather than for love, but I feel like it is more than that. I know that sex is about an intimacy and pleasure and that women are sexual beings who deserve good sex with or without romance involved. Yet somehow I feel as if I am no longer able to tap into that when I am with a man. And instead, the sex is about the guy owning me, using me for his pleasure in relation to overarching structures of patriarchy. I hope you're willing to discuss this topic because I'm a bit desperate about this whole issue and would love to just enjoy sex with someone else again without all these outside structures complicating something that is actually beautiful and supposed to bring us pleasure. It's somewhat exhausting to feel like I'm either giving in or fighting patriarchy through sex. Uh, Wishing you nothing but the best and lots of love and many COVID proof hugs. Fuck me. I didn't see (laughs) that one coming. I didn't see that one coming either. Um... I mean, even as they were saying it, I was like, you know, I don't disagree with this. I feel where you're coming from. A hundred percent. We live in a world that is a hundred percent been designed uh, around male pleasure. Even women's magazines, like 10 ways to drive him crazy, 10 blowjobs to give him. It's always about how to keep him, how to impress him. You know, I remember for years, I, for years, and I've only been having sex for a matter of years because I was a late bloomer. Cause Me too. Energy. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, uh, I was putting it out there. No one was catching, you know, <laughs> just that's what happens. I was, yeah, sometimes. I just had crushes that went on for so, so long. Oh, same. All, of a sudden, all of a sudden we were 26. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I was in my I was in my 20s as well. And so um, I, for years, only thought I'd had good sex if the other person had a good time. I, that was how I measured sex. The whole time yeah. I was having sex, I was thinking, are they having a good time? Am I doing a good job? And then afterwards, I would, before I would decide if I'd had a good time or not, I would look over to their face to see if they looked like they'd had a good time. And then mm. I would be like, it's like a version of the weighing scale where you're wow. just like, do I have permission to enjoy myself? Yeah, like now so I can I, breathe because yeah. you've, you've experienced your pleasure. And so I did a good job. And so... My work here is Yeah, done. I actually used to ask people afterwards, was that okay? Not a hot question. Not a hot question <laughs> at all. Um, <laughs> so uh, I completely understand that. And, you know, I, I, I think the pornography world has a lot to answer for in that department. Uh, but I'm going to yeah. let you start that's off this part one. Of it. That's, a, that's a huge part of it. Um, I, I'm actually in a, not quite that place, but looking at a lot of the sex that I've had and the experiences that I've had, because I didn't start until I was 26. Um, 
I can see that where, you know, I I had the experience and, and I'm glad that I had them, but there were a lot of instances of me going right into pleasing someone else because I didn't trust or I didn't feel comfortable or safe to experience that pleasure or to ask for that pleasure. Um, and what they were doing. Yeah. I, you know, you sort of shift yourself to appease someone else and then it's looking back at it that you think, oh, I don't even know that I really liked this person enough to do that. And I was sort of shortchanging myself by not asking for what I wanted. I kind of love the idea of this person uh, having experiences where they don't please someone else first, that they're like, this this session's about me, you know? Yeah, like, I like, agree. I, 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 I'm intrigued by the kind of partner you would bring in with that. And, Megan and, and the there Stallion are plenty vibe. of men who are very much into, you know, pleasing and being yeah. a, a little bit more submissive. And maybe that's something to tap into. Listen um, to listen to Megan the Stallion songs, I would say, especially to like as a kind of fight song before before sex. Yes. Because because patriarchy is not having any impact from the sounds of it on Megan the Stallion's sex. She is getting what she fucking came for and I am all here for it. It's so empowering to hear a woman talk like that about sex. Um, may I offer the opinion that I don't think sex, uh, heterosexual sex even, is inherently linked to patriarchy. I think it can be but I don't think it is inherently. And Mm. I think a lot of it has been, but that doesn't mean it has to continue to be so. And so I would try to, to just get away from the idea that it, it cannot be anything but patriarchy because as you know as Megan's just said there are plenty of guys out there who are very into pleasuring uh and you know being you know maybe even sometimes more servile towards the woman they may be having sex with and that's fantastic and there are plenty of people who are also worried that you're not having a good time because if you're not having to have a good time you might stop shagging them and they might want to keep shagging you so everyone is concerned as as, as they should be that you know well you would hope you're sleeping with someone who is concerned about your well-being during the sex that you're having. And if they aren't, you should never have sex with them again. Black them. Um, yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent. But um, I do think it's just about maybe being more thoughtful about picking your partners, maybe starting to work on, you know, being when you're having sex, be present of the thoughts that are going through your head. That was a process I really went through where I found myself like, I realized this is like very early on into having sex. I was like, oh my God, I think I'm performing. I think I caught myself in the act of performing. I was like mm-hmm. flipping my hair around and doing all the things. And I was like, oh, I am acting sex. I'm acting sex. I'm like, it's like I'm in a French movie. I'm being penetrated, but I'm acting the sex. I mean, how was I'm your doing performance? Would you be cast in the movie, do you think? Or I don't know. I don't know. I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think I would have gotten it. Maybe an understudy huh. at best. But I, you know, I, I think I was, you know, we grew up so, um, we grew up so in, like, not just with pornography, but like Hollywood. You would walk, you know, you would see them like burst through the door. They'd start kissing within a second. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah. no one's, no one's wet. In one second, uh, he's inside. He's all the way in within 60 seconds. He's had an orgasm and somehow so, so has she. And it's been at the same time and they've had the most extraordinary time. And then it's onto the cigarette and the next scene. And so, A, I thought that was supposed to be me. So I felt like really, really guilty and like wrong and, and bad mm-hmm. for not being able to go into instant penetration. But also I was like doing all the moves that they were doing. 
And it's not very fun to to no. perform like that for me anyway. Some people might find fun and and you know arousal in performance, but like I was, I was just copying what I saw in the films and yeah. then worrying that I was taking too long to get to orgasm if it was longer than thirty seconds. Like feeling apologising to people if it took longer than thirty seconds to reach orgasm. Like yeah. it was. Or, or, or I would I would just like, OK, move on to the next thing. Like if this isn't working and, and I feel like maybe it's taking too long, then OK, it's like almost foregoing your pleasure. A hundred to just get to the blowjob, because at least I know that's you know. Yeah. So I think that my suggestion would be to maybe, yes, in you know, invest in partnership that maybe is um not just about hooking up. And or is someone that, you know, there's a difference because I've hooked up with guys that it's not a very caring experience afterwards. Yeah. And then I know men that are really serious about aftercare, um, sexually, oh. regardless of if it's a, a hookup or not, um, because they, they're, they're thankful. They're grateful for the time that you've spent with them. And so I think is that those snack, are, like, what's that like? I would want to I've never experienced, I've just talked to men that are like, <laughs> <laughs> but one day I know it's coming. What kind um, of aftercare would you want? I mean, I'm taking a full body massage. You know, I'm taking like maybe a meal. You bring me food. Yeah, yeah. Toasted um, cheese sandwich You know, if you're, while you're up, pay my rent. You know, whatever it is that you feel, <laughs> you feel would help me, um, I'm here for. Um, so this is more I, of a sort of simp situation where I'm doing it I love it. I'm just, I'm just great. trying to manifest, um, you know, what I, oh, what I want. For but sure. I would, I would also say like maybe... If you're feeling this tension with what yeah. sex is and what it means, maybe with these partners, instead of going to penetrative sex, having a full night of foreplay, you know, having times where it's not just about them getting off or their pleasure in, in a way that maybe you feel like your body is being used or you're being taken in some kind of way. It doesn't feel good, but really about an exploration and a slowing down and a orgasm not being necessarily the point but that like intense intimacy and connection um which is very sure. hot why it's just me talking about I think it's, it's just me hot. describing like sex fan fiction it's right hot now. again it's just... my brain starts to slow down it's fucking great <laughs> um so i uh yeah my brain slowed down it's happened so okay. I'm, I'm into the i'm just thinking about the body massage now um no okay so <laughs> Um, I would also suggest, you know, I did this documentary a couple of years ago about consent and I was talking to someone from the BDSM community who said that what they do with online dating is that they have a list already prepared of what they like sexually and then they send each other their list and if it's not compatible, they don't meet up. Fuck, mm. I wish we did this in the non-BDSM world, just in, in the just in the world in its entirety. But I feel like a lot of, in particular, women don't even know what they like. I don't think many women have even ever asked themselves. And so I've been suggesting since I heard that for years that everyone makes a list. Just get your notes app on your phone and and write down what do you actually want? What do you like? What are you wondering about that you've never even tried? Yeah. And then start asking for that stuff. I used you to, can even I text used to take like beforehand. Tumblr. I used to like take Tumblr gifts. Like there would be back in the day of Tumblr, there'd be like porn gifts and things, things that looked interesting to me or that I wanted to try. Yeah. And I remember having conversations with a partner where we would send back and forth like love that. Vi videos or, or um, anything that was just like, oh, I would, I would love to have this done to me. And that might be an easier way to say what you want, as opposed to saying, this is, you know, this is what I need. It's also a way of you saying, oh, this looks like it would feel really good. Yeah. Go make that list. I would say go make that list and maybe question if part of this has come to come from 
having had bad lovers in the past and bad lovers in the past does not dictate that you're going to have bad lovers in the future. It's just all about, you know, I, I bring this up literally every day, but um, my therapist saying to me that a doormat is already lying down before people wipe their feet all over it. And I feel like that can be applied to so many different situations. We can almost always dictate the pleasure we receive. And if we, if someone does not want to give us that pleasure, then we reserve the right always to walk away. So wishing you the best of luck with that. I don't think it's inherent. I do think it's possible to experience sex uh, heterosexually with a man um, without uh, patriarchy being involved. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hi, Jamila. I have two questions on my mind and I'd love to hear your thoughts on these. She had also complimented the podcast. I just want you guys to know. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I do this every week. It's so infuriating. Uh, One, in the episode with Catelyn Moran, you both discussed the topic of negative self-talk and how to take control of it. As a young mother, I'm really curious about how we can teach our kids from a young age how to talk positively to themselves. Kids are incredible imitators, but since this is something that happens internally, I'm wondering how we can set an example for them in this case. Okay, so let's just break let's just start with that one. Okay. Firstly, it might happen internally, but it never starts internally. We are born with nothing but self-acceptance, right? We don't think about our thighs. We don't think about our stomachs. We don't think about our personalities. We don't think that we're being problematic if we ask for our basic needs to be met. If we're lonely, we tell someone. If we've shat our pants, we tell someone. If we're, you know, we, we, we cry when we need to cry. We don't hold anything back. We are born perfect in our, in our relationship to ourself and our body. It's, it's, it's kind of dragged out of us or beaten into us. The idea that we need to feel shame around expressing emotion, shame around our bodies, shame around the way that we look. It's not something that occurs to us when we first enter this world. So it's very important to be aware of that, that the external is so important. What is your child looking at? How are you talking about your body or other people's bodies uh, in front of your child? Mm-hmm. What do you, yeah, how? how are you, how are you talking about yourself when you look in the mirror and yeah. who's standing behind you hearing that? Yeah. Because are they kids, seeing, kids you know, will pick it up. 100%. A lot of my body image issues came from the way that my parents spoke not only about their own bodies, but also about the bodies of other members of our family or mm. friends or commenting, oh, they've gained weight and then having a chuckle about that or being jealous if someone had lost weight. Like it, it really, I really soaked it all up because children are just sponges. So really being yeah. aware of that, being aware of what they're, what they're watching on television. Do you see body diversity, general diversity, racial diversity, uh, disability diversity on that screen? Are you, are you showing them, you know, old Disney cartoons where the, where the princess has a one inch waist and long flowing hair and she's normally only ever white and blonde um, or Snow White, a brunette, very diverse. Uh, so, you know, what are you showing them on the television? What magazines do they have access to? Are you giving them your phone? Are they scrolling through your Instagram? Who are you following on Instagram? 
Are you making sure that they are constantly exposed to a spectrum of different sizes and shapes and, and colours and levels of physical ability or non-disability, etc.? That's something that I feel. What, what yeah, I mean, it really comes down to how you're talking to them, what questions you're asking them about how they feel in their bodies and, and things that they're hearing. Like, I remember being in school. I remember the first moment I realised I was fat. When uh, it was just second grade, it was just the first memory I have of a kid in class whispering to me that I was fat and understanding at that point that that was meant to hurt me. And of course, raising my hand to tell on, on him immediately because that's who I was. Um, but then, you know, you have that experience outside of the home and then you go home and you kind of receive that same bullying at home um, mm-hmm. in, in even more subtle ways. I had very extreme, like I had a parent that was trying to pay me to lose weight. Like I'll give you a certain amount of money per pound um, and diet pills and fat camps and all that stuff. But it was even- Were you ever put the, on a, uh, were you ever put on a powder soup diet? I was put on a powder soup diet for three months. Oh, I was never put on the powder soup diet, but I was, I was, uh, my parents lied about my age to get me into a gym when I was 12 so I could work out. Um, even and, just sending you away to fat camp, just making you feel as though you must go away from us to, yeah. to be fixed. It's interesting too, because when I talked to my mom about it, she sort of remembers me wanting to go, like me asking to go. I don't have that memory, but I also, I hold space for that because I think that I was being teased to the point that I understand that there was, there was a part of me that thought maybe if I just change it, that I'll have some kind of relief. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up in the hospital. So clearly, but, um, you know, it's, it's even subtle. It's even more subtle than just a uh, family picking at you too. It's how they're talking about their body. It's when they're showing up to Thanksgiving and, you know, they have their own diet version of foods because they're trying to lose a certain amount of weight. It's um, the complimenting weight loss, complimenting weight Don't loss. Don't do that. Of it, yeah. The, it's, it's jarring the experience and how you're treated um, after a major weight loss. And it, that's a, it's a whole other level of trauma. Um, and, but yeah, I think that wanting to set an environment where your kid can come to you and talk about what's being said to them, what's being said around them, how they feel about it, and then helping them, guiding them through the thought process and the understanding that your body is going to change. Your body is going to, going to go through lots of changes and there's nothing wrong with whatever those changes are because I love you as your parent. I'm here for you. And there are people in this world who will love you and who will support you. Um, and I'm going to be here with you for the entire journey. Also, and we could all benefit from this, Focus on the inside. Focus on how smart they are. Focus on how funny they are. Focus on how great they are with Lego or how sporty they are or whatever. But find ways yeah. to build them up in so many other ways that their exterior is just a kind of, is just lost in the pool of other things that are cool and interesting about them. That's what, that's what the whole of my I Way movement is. It's like, who are you? What are you? So to the point where, you know, listen, if the way that you look is one of your priorities, I'm not a dick. Like, I'm not going to tell you that's not allowed. Who the fuck am I? Truly, who the fuck am I? I, I don't know anymore. It's been a long <laughs> pandemic. Um, no, no, but seriously, like I, <laughs> I, I, it can be in your top 10, but can we just stop making it our entire top 10? It can't yeah. be one through 10. It could be like eight, 
But let's like top, let's, let's throw to the top of the leaderboard there, like all the things that you are, what you contribute to society, who you are. And so I think that's a really healthy thing to just to plug my own movement, a really healthy way to uh, implement self-confidence into your child. Another really interesting thing I remember is um, a friend of mine had a very kind of traditionally quote unquote, beautiful daughter very long hair, very slender, big, beautiful kind of eyes, very symmetrical, blah, 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 all of the traditional beauty standards. And my friend actually, and, and this might sound a bit weird, but it's not, and it has ended so excellently, but we'll warn people from beforehand when she's bringing her child over or teachers or other friends. It's like, my child is extremely beautiful and I don't want you to comment on her appearance at all because very young from about two onwards, you notice the first and, and only thing people would say is, oh, you're so beautiful. What a beautiful child you have. And that would immediately create a value system for her child. So, you know, saying to other people around you, like, please don't ever comment on the way that my child looks or anything about their physicality whatsoever. Even if it's their big eyes or their eyelashes being really long, just leave it alone. Just comment on the things that are on the inside. That was really fucking helpful for my friend. And now this child is is very, very grounded. I mean, God help her in her teens at secondary school uh, because the value oh system gosh. becomes imposed upon you. But I feel like they've done a really, really good job with just preserving in the most formative, that kind of like first seven years where you really create your like neurological coding really has done a great job in protecting the child from that like gross value system of of aesthetic it's also uh, what a what did it experiment for or um you know a test for adults in that situation too because mm -hmm. i think we don't really learn how to compliment people without mm -hmm. it being about physical stuff oh you look so good oh you know you're i think that there's to comp when i've gotten compliments from friends on my kindness or my attention to something or mm -hmm. something that's outside of how i look those compliments feel so unique because we're not used to giving them and they feel more powerful. People tell me that I make them feel that I make them feel better about themselves uh, because of how often I embarrass myself publicly. So they feel less embarrassed about their lives because I'm so much more embarrassing uh, than them. So that's the thing you see that I bring to people, Megan. That's really great. I'm sure I've done that for you. Listen, uh, I am I what it. not to do. You know, I'm that guide. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, you know, I love being complimented like that because it's not about my body you see it's about who I am what I, I love how embarrassing you are feel. it's my favorite quality yeah truly <laughs> you make me feel so much better about myself because uh. I'm not like you <laughs> um <laughs> okay so uh second question and we're, okay. then we're going to wrap this up so not sure if you've talked about female masturbation before but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic I think that there's a distinct connection between the way that we are taught to not masturbate and feeling ashamed of our bodies masturbation is such an amazing tool to learn about our bodies boundaries, what we enjoy, and most importantly, how incredible our bodies are and what they're capable of doing. I guess this isn't much of a question, but more of an invitation to delve into this topic. Once again, thank you from the bottom of my heart and my wife's. Uh, and she does say I'm an absolute inspiration, but she might be talking about you. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, like, who knows? <laughs> it's not important. It's right. not important. All right. Um, don't uh, cut this out. I feel, I feel like this whole episode <laughs> is just me getting me to try to describe very sexual things. I know it's this is and I'm here for it. if you guys want to no, hear the oh, soothing sure. tones of my voice. Oh, for sure. Talk for about sure. masturbation. For sure. I don't feel like I've been aroused enough yet during this <laughs> fucking entire hour. Yeah, Jamila's um, got to take a break after this because. Yeah, yeah I need to have a little lie down. Um, so, OK, so talk to me. 
Okay. Um, Female masturbation. My thoughts about masturbation. uh, My favorite thing to do. Probably top three hobbies. Um, Mm -hmm. What are the other two? I, I think I almost prefer it to sex most of the time um, because it is such a a focus on my own pleasure and I get to think about whatever I want. I get to, you know, it's, it's great. I started touching myself when I was young too. Like I, I, I didn't have parents again, growing up in the Midwest, no one really was like, here's, you had your sex ed class. And I don't even remember if they really mentioned masturbation. It was like one afternoon where all the girls watch a video about periods and my, I was so curious about things that my mom would just buy me books to read, which was, you know, thank God, because then I could kind of go through and learn on my own. But I remember the first time I like, like sat in front of a mirror and looked at everything and found where the clitoris was. And since then, Clit and I have been best friends. Besties. <laughs> um, there are lots of little girls who... Uh, start masturbating at the age of sort of like two or three or four. And I think it's really important to be careful on how you have that conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how I'm going to have that conversation if I have children, because you do want them to be safe mm-hmm. and to not draw attention to themselves. Not that, not in a shaming way, but obviously like there are some really sick people in this world and you don't want your child to be putting themselves in a vulnerable situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you but you also don't want to make them feel bad or like they're doing anything wrong or, or evil, you know, or disgusting. Like you, you yeah. have to be so gentle in the way that you navigate that. And, and perhaps on the podcast, I need to bring on a, a child psychologist who can maybe talk through that and teach me because I have fucking no expertise on this. But I just think it's really important. I, I for years, thought, uh, first of all, masturbation was something that only men did um, and that women didn't really need to because men don't have the kind of cycles of sexual uh, repression that men do because men you know, need to release something. And I was like, well, I don't have anything to release. So why would I need to do that? I'll just have sex if and when someone wants to have sex with me. Like, for example, between the age of like 23 and 26, I did not uh, touch anyone else or myself. Three years. Just a graveyard of no touch. That was it. And I was this like model and this DJ. And I was, you know, like I had, you know, externally it appeared that I had it all and I could have anyone. And I was just there going home for another cold, wankless night, a cold, <laughs> sexless night. And I really feel like I would have had a happier life. I would have made less mistakes on Twitter uh, or in, in interviews. Like if I'd, if, if, if I'd only ever just had a wank first, I feel like maybe we shouldn't be allowed to tweet until we've had a wank. I feel like there'd be less problems in the world. I think there would be less war if there was more wanking. I like I really that policy do. a lot. I think I'm going to carry that into my life. I can't tell you how many times during this quarantine I've fallen asleep with a sex toy next to me with the full intention of using it and then woke up and nothing had happened. And it was like, oh, well, maybe tomorrow night, babe. <laughs> <laughs> I have a headache. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Sorry, not today. Um, yeah, I really do. I think that I think we really need to continue that. I think Emma Watson was like one of the first celebrities I ever saw, like just come out and talk about the importance of the female orgasm and masturbation and uh, dildos. But there are lots of, uh, lots and lots and lots and lots of sex advocates online who aren't in Harry Potter, who are very, very knowledgeable and people from different backgrounds. We've had Shadeen Francis, the amazing love and sex therapist who was on this show uh, before talking about it. People like her are fantastic to follow. Do you have any great sex follows that you like, Megan? Oh, uh, Jiminyka. Oh, is someone that I would, I would shout out instantly. Um, Dirty Lola. Uh, I have a few people that I follow that are, that are friends, thank God, but also uh, do incredible work in this space and are very 
tuned into their pleasure and how to share that pleasure with other people and teach them sort of about themselves. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else at the top of my head, but I think that those, those two are, uh, lovely. Great follows. place to stop. And great place well. to start. Yeah. And I also think that like, you know, when it comes to masturbation, something that I wish that I had been told or had been communicated to me a little bit younger was not just masturbation, um, and sexual release specifically, but also all of the, jo- the feeling and the, um, the pleasure that comes from touching beyond your clitoris, you know, just your inner thighs and like even incorporating that sort of pleasure practice into when you're putting lotion on after a shower, like it doesn't always, uh, have to have a point beyond you feeling really grounded in your body and, and feeling, uh, all those sensations that, you know, uh, yes, connect just wake you up with your your nerves. I know I'm just like touching myself as I'm doing it, but um, I, she's I touching just, her, her shoulders just to be just clear. T- just not, my when shoulders. she says she's touching um, herself, she's not. <laughs> Although sometimes when I'm podcasting, I can't help. I just do grab myself like this, and I just I always like, love holding my breasts. It's comforting. It's, it's so not even comforting. a sexual thing. It's, it's just no, really it's comforting. Wonderful. And so yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's what I think it is. It's it's not always necessarily sexual, but I think masturbation is a great gateway into uh, pleasure beyond that in your body and finding out what that is. I agree. Go get toys. Go get all the toys. In fact, oh, yes. if you find yourself about to buy uh, an appetite suppressant lollipop or a weight loss laxative tea or anti-aging cream, nothing. Also, aging is really cool and a great privilege. I hope we've learned that in the last year. Um, uh, or uh, fucking stretch mark cream, nothing. Anti-cellulite cream, not a fucking thing. Before you're about to go and spend money on any of that bullshit, why don't you buy yourself a nice sex toy? A nice, vibrating, new, innovative, highly recommended, expensive even. They don't have to be expensive. But why don't you you play with... I've got a friend who's got an actual trunk. And even though she's going to go and stay at her parents' house for a couple of weeks, she brought like half the trunk with her in a giant bag and just like rolled that through customs. Like all these different big old dildos just didn't give a shit because she's concerned about her pleasure. And also like really, even though it might sound a bit weird, if there's ever a place that you're going to need some release <laughs> and pleasure it is when you're dealing with your fucking family so i get uh, that i yes. love that um but yeah yes. go buy yourself uh go buy yourself some sex toys maybe you know get into it i think it's really really important and we need to keep having those conversations and uh and who better than megan to <laughs> to have uh stroked herself while yeah. having that conversation with me i just you know i'm talking about my body and i'm in my body and i just sometimes it feels good to touch your shoulders you know yeah very central. Very central. Okay, well, I need to leave. Um, <laughs> Megan, this was this was fucking great. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, where you. can people find you online? You can find me at Megan Tondras on most things. YouTube is a great place. Instagram is a great place. But also I have music streaming on Spotify and iTunes and all those good places. And I have a podcast called No Lies Detected, which you can find wherever you find podcasts. Boom. All right. Well, go find her. And uh, have a lovely day. Thanks for coming on and helping me. Oh, of course. Anytime. Oh, and uh, just by the way, we did actually find a website. It's called Health at Every Size. So if you just go to haescommunity.com, you will be able to perhaps find, it's not a huge directory, but some doctors who take Health at Every Size seriously. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Erin Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music that you're hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. I really appreciate it, and it amps me up to bring on better and better guests. Lastly, at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iwaypodcast at gmail.com. It's not in pounds and kilos, so please don't send that. It's all about your just, you, you know, you've been on the Instagram. Anyway, and now we would love to pass the mic to one of our listeners. iWay, having a loving and supporting family. I weigh being a psychotherapist and a professional dancer. I weigh being grateful always. And I weigh being kind and loving to others. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.